Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm here with my wonderful, beautiful, Toy Story loving <laughs> wife, Michelle. Hello. Thank you, sweetie. How's everybody doing out there? <laughs> Hopefully, they're doing as well as we are today. Right? It's so good to have you with us. We are recording this. We're back on Sundays again. We're recording this episode on Sunday, June 23rd, 2019. And yes, we are back home after our vacation from the last week or plus couple weeks yeah yeah so it it, we had a wonderful time but it is great being back home being with more familiar uh studio studio (laughs) studio (laughs) or kitchen table (laughs) studio but uh yes it's so good to be back with you thank you for joining us today in the future you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts the best place however to find us is on our website hyperionadventurespodcast.com sprucing that puppy up, uh, trying to make it better for everybody out there. And hopefully you can find some interesting stuff uh, within it, including I did do a written review of Toy Story 4 just the other day after we screened that on uh, Thursday night. Right, which we're going to be talking about. But uh, yeah, and if there's anything that you feel our uh, website is missing, uh, let us know about that too. Uh, Down the road here, we're going to be adding some of our tips to be included in there. And so we we are really working to make it a much more um, appealing and functional website. Yes, that is our goal. And we are working on it. I'm working on it regularly between that and the Disney Dishes blog. I'm working on improving improving both every day. Doing a Uh, great job. Thank you very much. Uh, You can also find our podcast and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Podbean. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And now we are also on iHeartMedia Podcasts. So you can find us there as well. If there's a place where you get podcasts regularly and we're not on it, please contact us. We'd like to find a way to get on that site so you can find us more easily. Right. We really want to make sure that it's a convenient way for you to get our podcast. And we really appreciate it if you tell a friend about it. And Mm -hmm. like you said, if you could subscribe, that's awesome too. Or review. We want to hear from all of you and uh, we appreciate feedback from whatever source you can give it to. Absolutely. Uh, We love hearing from all all our Hyperion Wow. Already in this beginning of the show, (laughs) all our Hyperion adventurers, we love hearing from all of you and you can find us on social media. We're very active on social media. I'm going to get to that in just a second here Uh, on Twitter at Hyperion podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion adventures podcast. And you can always email us if you want to contact us about any reason, uh, Hyperion adventures podcast and gmail.com. Now, speaking of social media, we got a thing going on. We ran this morning, our hashtag virtual, virtual (laughs) five. 5K. We were out this morning running for the uh, Run Disney Virtual 5K. If you don't know what that is, they're doing three races coming up. It's a series of runs, June, July, August, all revolving around a different Marvel character. This month, it was Captain Marvel. I believe next month is Black Panther, and August, I think, is... Uh, is Iron Man. I'm not sure if I have that in the correct order, but that's how they're going. And we were out running this morning virtually with uh, some other listeners and some other great podcasters and Disney bloggers. We had uh, Jenny from Disney DNA Podcast was out there. Tony and his son Sparrow and Stitch from uh, Disney Discussions Podcast. Cassie from Disflix and Tidbits Podcast. And Nate and Serena from DVC Duo. We were all out having a great time this morning doing our own run. We don't have a date yet for the July run, but we love you to take part either with us in person or virtually. 
Hashtag it with virtual, hashtag virtual virtual 5K. We'll find it. We'll retweet it. We'll all have a great time doing this together. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've talked about in the past how we don't have the run Disney at Disneyland currently. And so this was a fun way to have something locally that we do, but still share the fun with other people that we've, you know, interacted with on social media. So that was fun. Um, and I'm glad we're doing that and looking forward to the next two. Yeah, it was a, a lot of fun for you know, getting out and running three miles in the summer can be, but uh, we had a great time good with morning. it. And we got some, <laughs> we got some good pictures and we have Mickey bars waiting for us as reward, I which I found in the store finally after <laughs> months of looking today. So, uh, so excited about that. Uh, moving on. We have lots of stuff for you today, including, uh, we are just talked about a little bit ago, our Toy Story 4 spoiler free review. We're not going to go over spoilers today, maybe in a future episode, not today, uh, We'll also talk a little bit about our second trip to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Yes, Batu 2, Electric <laughs> Boogaloo. Yes, we got to go for a second visit. We we're so blessed that we had the chance to do that. Uh, we did that yesterday at the Disneyland Resort. And we'll have details how you can get in yourself. And also, we had the details, or at least the title, for a new Pixar film that's coming out next year that was kind of a surprise. We weren't expecting two Pixar films to be coming right. out next year. Uh, so that's really interesting. So A lot of fun topics today. Yes, a lot of fun topics. Let's get to our main topic. As you may know, we are looking back at all the Star Wars films. So let's get to our main topic, which is Star Wars Remembered, Solo, A Star Wars Story. I've been running scams on the street since I was 10. kicked out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. I'm going to be a pilot. Best in the galaxy. Hey, kid. I'm putting together a crew. You in? That's yes. I might be the only person. Who knows? What you really are. What's that? Get ready. Thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine. So yes, we're continuing our series, Star Wars Remembered, Solo, A Star Wars Story. If you didn't catch this early on, uh, we obviously started this series because we were building up to what is the end of the Skywalker saga, which will be, of course, the rise of Skywalker coming up in December. And we originally were trying to decide if we wanted to do just the Skywalker movies or all the movies. And you out there, we ran a poll and you said, yes, do them all, do them in chronological order. So that Come, brings us to where we are now, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Now, it's funny that this is the most recent film that came out, so <laughs> right? you know we're going to have to deal with that. So if you haven't seen Solo, A Star Wars Story, we're going to be all over spoilers in this. So you know it's been out for over a year. We're sorry, but if you want to go ahead and skip ahead, that's fine. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we want to make sure and, and 
touch on this. And the next two are actually going to be two of the most recent movies, which are, are going to be interesting as we go through this. But anyway, we love Solo, A Star Wars Story. And we know our good friend Rob LeBerry from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast enjoyed Solo, A Star Wars Story as well. And he joins us right now as we go through this Star Wars Remembered series. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, I was a little bit confused, I think, because you said uh, you were going to have me on to review Star Wars Solo, and I thought it was just going to be me. (laughs) Just you. Just you. Han. All right. Well, I'm just going to take a nap now, then, and (laughs) go for it, Rob. (laughs) A long time ago. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, So anyway, so uh, this film... Uh, I, I think we all enjoyed it, even though this movie kind of struggled at the box office, which was, and we'll get into that more, you know, reasons why that happened. But I think we all enjoyed this film more than uh, some of the critics even, or definitely what the box office showed. I think you would agree with me, Michelle. Right. And, you know, I mean, even still to this day on Twitter, you can still see people who are, who hadn't seen it in the theaters now seeing it and kind of like, hitting their heads saying, why didn't we, it's a good film. And, you know, although I have to admit the first time I saw it, I had some issues uh, with trying to see him as Han Solo, but ended up really loving it and giving it a second chance. And it's one of the rare, rare movies we went back to. Yeah. Yeah, The second time you loved it more. And now you've seen it many times in multiple screenings at home and you really, really enjoy it. Rob, I don't know what your thoughts were on Solo when it first came out. Uh, You know, it wasn't like the most mind-blowing Star Wars film I'd ever seen, but I definitely uh, enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. Um, You know, uh, it's one of those scenarios where you've got an actor that's being asked to play a totally iconic character and that is a really big ask for anybody, especially when you're dealing with, you know, Han Solo and the way that that was portrayed by Harrison Ford. So um, I, I thought he did a great job with the character and kind of making it his own. Um, and, you know, it was it was a lot of fun um, there. You know, it did have some things that that were a little bit tough to swallow for me. But overall, I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there were some missteps in this movie, but overall, it was a fun ride and we enjoy it very much. So let's just kind of get into the details of this film. For those of you who don't know, uh, the film debuted worldwide on May 25th of 2018. So just a little over a year ago, as we just spoke about, came out. Uh, pre-release, the hype for this, it was really a, really an interesting hype because there wasn't a lot of it. Uh, the, the sneak peek TV spot uh, didn't air until February 4th of 2018 in the Super Bowl. Uh, and the first official teaser trailer was released the next day on February 5th of 2018. There was a lot of controversy going in as this movie was being released. Uh, they fired the director, the original directors, Phil Lord and, and Christopher Miller. They fired Lucasfilm, uh, fired them in June of 2017 due to, quote, creative differences, end quote, the ever clever creative differences, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then Ron Howard took over, which always was, you know, I mean, you're not going to find much of a bigger name in, as right, a director than Ron Howard. Yeah, we were kind of interested when that happened. Uh, there were lots of reshoots we heard about, uh, you know, it was estimated that they pushed the budget to at least $275 million, which made this one of the most expensive movies ever made. Uh, there was a lot of speculation out there on social media and stuff that the star, uh, Alden Ehrenreich, was struggling with the role, that he 
we really, you know, everybody, there was a lot of talk that he just couldn't pull it off. So people were concerned about that. And of course, we were dealing with the backlash with some of the people that didn't enjoy episode eight, The Last Jedi. Uh, so there was all this mix going into it that really, really made it struggle a bit. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think, like you're saying, all the things that were controversial around that. However, the one shining thing that, we, like you said, was Ron Howard being uh, taking over in that. And I think it, it felt like at that point, you felt comfortable that somebody familiar had this in their hands. Right. And that it was going to be at least considered reverent to make sure at the, the things that came out of there would be a good quality product. Right. Rob, leading into the opening of uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, you know, I had followed a lot of the issues that they had with uh, Lord Miller as the original directors. Uh, my understanding of it was they were having them do like upwards of 30 takes per scene, which um, the difference between how they approached the film and how uh, Ron Howard approached it was really that they were trying to put together a film on the edit in the editing room, whereas Ron Howard, you know, kind of wanted to have the vision in place and then just shoot the scenes that he knew that he needed. And I almost wonder if all of those retakes that they were doing uh, with the original directors is kind of part of what impacted the confidence level of some of the actors. Uh, because it's kind of hard to feel like you're doing a good portrayal if you're being asked to do retake after retake after retake. So um, it was really interesting because it didn't get, uh, as you mentioned earlier, it really didn't get promoted a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely played into what happened uh, with the kind of poor showing at the box office, uh, as well as like, uh, like was referenced earlier, you know, the, there were some issues with The Last Jedi, and I think people were kind of getting a little bit burned out having a Star Wars film every year, if that's even possible. Um, so, you know, I, I was still excited to go see it. I still wanted to see uh, and kind of judge for myself how I felt. Uh, you know, they did portraying the various characters, Han and Lando, etc. So, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was still anticipating it coming out right uh you know interesting about all uh, those both what things that both of you said there as far as uh ron howard stepping in you know i think it's interesting and you mentioned it rob that maybe the uh, actor's confidence was a little shot after lord and miller were in there and making them do take after take after take one thing ron howard is really well known for is how well he works with actors uh how he being a, a former actor himself how he gets in one-on-one and can really Really help them along and I, it may be no wonder that they brought him in to help move this project along as far as the film coming out yeah not only did it was it you know a star wars movie every year this movie came out only five months after the last jedi came out they didn't even push it back till like december of 2018 right. so you know which we kind of got a question a little wouldn't, wouldn't it maybe even better given them more time to push this back i know i don't think they wanted to compete with uh mary poppins coming out Mary Poppins right. Returns coming out around that same time but at the same t I, I just think it might have been better for this film in general I don't know what you think Michelle yeah I, I think well yeah I guess so I mean maybe because there was already that negativity from The Last Jedi that they felt something a little bit more light 
would bring some positivity from the fans back to the mm-hmm. to the movies. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Rob, you have any thoughts on any of that? I agree that I think they probably did have some concerns about uh, the Mary Poppins Returns film and, and kind of impacting the box office for that. Although it's kind of strange because it really doesn't seem like there's necessarily a direct conflict between those two films. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, in a lot of cases, it'd be different audiences. But um regardless of what the reasoning was uh, you know i think that this was kind of a situation i know there were some boycott the film uh, movements out there which i've never really been a fan of regardless but um i think you're right with what you said about ron howard i mean he definitely is someone who can work with actors and you contrast that to to george lucas and his <laughs> ongoing direction of faster and more intense right? <laughs> right um you know anyone that's going to actually be able to work with a young actor Especially as we said in a in a scenario where they are being handed a very give a, a very large task of living up to a legacy character that's been there since the original trilogy, um, and is really an iconic part of Star Wars. That they have to have someone who's going to help build their confidence. Right, I completely agree with that. Right, I think that's right. exactly the the tone they took with this. Since we're talking about the actors, let's go ahead and, and get to the cast of Solo: A Star Wars Story. Uh, Alden Iron Aaron Reich, excuse me, I'm going to totally mess up his name every time I say it on this show. Uh, <laughs> Played Han Solo, and what could you? I mean, he's a relatively unknown actor at this point. Could you have put something more weighty on his shoulders than <laughs> yeah, right. to have to portray an iconic role that Harrison Ford is known for? It, it had to be crazy for him, right? I mean, and just the issue of his appearance, albeit that he was similar, there are a lot of facial differences, and and it was like, you know, knowing that he probably had to realize that too. That hey, I, I. I'm trying to portray something that people are so familiar with. I don't have, you know, necessarily all the features physically to to meet up with that. Unlike, you know, you're, you're bringing Chewbacca back, but you know, there you, you're you're able to make that character look identical to the mm-hmm. original. So, yeah, I'm sure that that weighed on him as well. Rob, uh, I, I mean, I know we've discussed this uh, both on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast and a couple times uh, within this show here itself, uh, but Alden Ehrenreich's performance as Han Solo, what were your thoughts on it? It was interesting because I, I could almost see him progress as the movie went on uh, and kind of gain that confidence because early in the film, it was a little stiff. It was a little forced, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, but as the film went on, he just got very comfortable with that. He had a lot of the swagger and mannerisms that you would uh, associate with Harrison Ford and his portrayal of Han Solo. So, you know, I thought it, I thought it worked out great. Um, and again, I think that people who are going to be critical of his portrayal of Han Solo, again, you have to look at the task that he was given, mm-hmm. which I don't think many people would have been willing to take on. Uh, and I'm glad that they just went with him as himself instead of doing anything with CGI, as we've seen that that can actually be done fairly effectively mm-hmm. these days. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that they just kind of let him own the character and, and kind of take it on for himself. Right. I, I mean, I thought actually he pulled off a lot of the mannerisms. Yes. Yeah. Does he? Did he actually look like Han Solo as Harrison Ford's Han Solo? Mm, he couldn't really pull that off. And I don't know who could exactly. But as far as some of the ways he would just, you know, have that sly half smile and just a little look out of his eye right. and, you know, this this little, uh, you know, lilt to the way he spoke. I, I thought he pulled off a lot of the mannerisms fairly well throughout this film. And uh, by the end of it, I'm like, yeah. 
Oh, I yeah, buy it. Definitely. And I know you thought the same way. Yeah. You had problems with it to begin with, and right. then as it moved on, you changed it oh, and yeah, really totally. enjoyed him. Yeah, I, I totally changed it. Totally felt like he he handled it brilliantly in that. Um, and also in the interactions with Chewie. It was very believable, very comfortable of a relationship of what I felt we already knew. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it was just starting, it just it, it had that familiarity to it. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, let's go down through some of the rest of the cast here. Uh, some really, you know, I mean, uh, you know, as as sort of unknown as Alden Ehrenreich was, there were some big names that were in this movie. Uh, Woody Harrelson, who's been around for since Cheers, you know, yes. <laughs> uh, takes on as kind of uh, Han Solo's mentor, Tobias Beckett. Uh, Amelia Clark, who all of us Game of Thrones fans know very well as the Queen of Dragons, uh, played Kira. Donald Glover played Lando Calrissian. And I thought he was... Uh, he was great as Lando. It was like it was really good casting. It took there, there were some struggles, I think, with some of the writing of it, but I actually thought that he was really on top of the game, and I really think I could buy him as a young Lando Calrissian. I don't know what you think, Michelle. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, when I first heard it announced, it was like, oh yeah, that makes sense, you know. But like at first, there were some parts of it that were. I don't know if you call them clunky or whatever, that it's mm-hmm. like, really? And I, I just finally had to, to tell the voice in my head to stop, you know, critiquing it and saying, is that what, you know, Lando would have said and just appreciated, the, you know, the character. Yeah. Rob, do you have any thoughts on Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian? Uh, I think you and I have talked again quite about uh, quite a bit about this. And my initial impression was he was a little too oily, I guess, for me. But again, in the conversations we've had, you've made the point that, you know, a younger Lando Calrissian, a little less refined, probably was going to come off that way anyway. So again, I didn't have any major issues with it. Really, the only part of his story arc that was just weird was the whole droid romance thing. <laughs> um Again, I mean, I'm all for being PC, but that <laughs> I'm, now we're being PC about things that aren't even really a thing. Right. right. So, um, so that was interesting. Uh, but no, I, I liked his character. Um, you kind of saw that relationship between him and uh, Han, is, er, <laughs> right? Yeah. He even no, went he, with yeah, He hand, kept calling right? him Han. Yeah. Han. So I love that they uh, brought that brought that back, uh, you know, from mm-hmm. Billy D. Williams and his portrayal of, of Lando and kind of stuck with that throughout the film as kind of his little jive between uh, he and Han Solo. So, uh, you know, they did a lot of cool little things with him, uh, subtle little things. His cape closet was awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, I'm totally <laughs> jealous. <laughs> I, I actually had someone, <laughs> Yeah, I had someone who was saying, well, you know, when, when Han met up with Kira in the closet where she kept her capes, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> her cape. That yeah. wasn't that wasn't her closet. That was, that was Lando's closet. So. Well, that's one of the things also about it is how tricked out the Millennium Falcon was when oh, yeah. Lando owned it. It was yeah. so funny. I got a wet bar over here. And, you know, the escape, uh, the escape pod up front in between the mandibles. And it was just interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, going through some of the rest of the cast here. And I'm, another name I'm going to totally screw up here is Jonas Suatamo, who played uh, Chewbacca. I'm probably butchered that but uh you nailed it actually that was the first time that he played chewbacca all the way through a star wars film so and i thought he played him really well and the mannerisms similar to you know the late great peter mayhew had done Uh, i thought he was great uh we just talked about l337 uh that was phoebe waller bridge who played that um Paul Bettany plays Dryden Voss, kind of the bad guy, kind of the crime lord in this, although we, we learn later on that there's a crime lord above the crime right. lord, of course. Uh, Thandie Newton played Val, who I felt Val 
was it was disappointing that we only got a small piece of her because I thought she was really interesting character. And okay, this is going to be like I said, we're going to have spoilers here. When she dies, uh, she sacrifices herself. It just missed the mark to me that um, like there should have been some more emotional impact right. there, you know, and the reasons why she sacrificed herself and and why and I just thought that that it completely lost in that because we didn't have enough backstory on her. I don't know what you think, Michelle. Yeah, I think so too. And I like you're saying it, it missed some backstory. It missed some. You know, what was you really then felt like, well, she was seeing this as a big cause, whereas everything else surrounding that that mission is more being, you know, they were hired hands Mm -hmm. to do this job. And so it was kind of a, you know, it didn't like you're saying it missed it. It didn't make sense. Rob, do you have any thoughts on that moment? I'm just so happy that you said what you've said, because I thought I was going to be the pariah here. But (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, I love Thandie Newton. I'm a big fan of Westworld. She's Mm -hmm. been a huge Mm -hmm. part of that series. And, uh, you know, she's clearly an amazing actress. So uh, it felt like she was totally underutilized in this film. And as you said, they never really managed to develop the kind of connection between her and Beckett, um, which is Woody Harrelson's character uh, in this particular film. They're supposed to be, you know, totally in love and everything. And her death really doesn't resonate with him, even in the film. Uh, He kind of shrugs it off pretty quickly. So Mm -hmm. and and the other thing is, I mean, the way that they killed her off wasn't really anything that you would call a a strong female character death in this particular film because she kind of died in a pointless way. So, um, you know, kind of sacrificing herself for a heist that that didn't even get pulled off anyway. So it was just uh, it was kind of one of the clunky parts of the movie that didn't connect with me. Um, And as you said, there was really no emotional resonance to her being killed off because even the characters on screen seemed to move along pretty quickly. Yeah, I felt that like there was something else there that really needed explaining. I, I really believe that they probably had something in mind and wanted to develop it more. But for whatever reason, it just never came across. It didn't come across in editing. I don't know. I, I didn't see it anywhere in any of the uh, deleted scenes or anything. But it seems like there should have been a reason why she decided to sacrifice herself, why it was so important that they needed to get this job done. And it just it just completely whiffed to right. me. And that's unfortunate because, I, you know, like I said, we, we, we all agree that for the most part, it's a decent movie, but things like that are really what kept it from being a, a great movie in many regards. Uh, a couple other members of the cast, John Favreau, it's a great turn as uh, Rio Durant, you know, even he actually his death meant more to me than right. Val's, yeah. which was interesting. Right. I was just going to say that. <laughs> we got a little more from him and a little more life out of him and he was fun. And another interesting character that only has a really small part in it at least as FaceTime but Erin Kellerman as Emphis Nest um, I thought in the small piece you got of her she was very intriguing right. and I want to see more from her I don't know what you think Michelle oh yeah absolutely I I, I mean she just seemed like everything that you, she embodied so much of what you'd want to see in a character like hers and what she was trying to do but I mean she had the look she had the finesse um, and the humbleness I mean she just had so many you could tell with so little, like you're saying, so little FaceTime, how impressive of a character she was. I thought she just looked like a perfect part as the start of the rebellion right, of like what right, you would yes. see as this, this is just starting to get from ground level. I don't know what you think, Rob. Yeah, I mean, I liked her character. I thought she did a great job. Um, it was interesting, though, they kind of the way that they lay that in at the end of the film, it kind of makes it sound like the rebellion is really more 
against the cartels, you know, the the syndicates mm. that are that mm-hmm. are starting up, as opposed to the empire itself. I get that they're talking kind of about the uh, the vacuum that was created by the empire, and and that's kind of what the syndicates filled in. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I like the character, and I think it's cool that they've kind of uh, kind of tied that in a little bit to the origin story for the rebellion itself. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, hope we can see more of that somewhere, whether it be uh, a sequel to this yeah, or <laughs> or or uh, some other standalone film, or just making some appearances in some other uh, you know Star Wars story films or whatever. But enjoyed it so uh, we've already gone over through some of this but we'll just go ahead and go through the synopsis a little bit the film follows much of the early life of Han Solo starting as an orphan who is stealing and working deals basically just to survive and of course we learn how he met his best friend and co-pilot Chewbacca his connection with Lando Calrissian and how he came to possess the Millennium Falcon and we witnessed some critical moments that would shape him into the lovable smuggler that we (laughs) would see in other Star Wars films again it's not a perfect film we just talked about Val's character just completely missed the mark there i would have liked a little i mean i know it was part of the mystery of kira as well but i felt that her character there needed to be some sort of more meat behind her too and where we got how we got to where we are and i know that's supposed to be mystery maybe that was something that was going to be uh discovered more if they had had made a solo two or if they do make a solo two but uh, i just felt like i needed a little bit more uh, meat out of that character michelle well i don't know um i actually think the mystery was probably very I think it served it well. I Sometimes I think if they give you too much, that's where some of the disappointments could fall. I mean, you know, like, oh, why would that have been enough for a character to do this or that? And I, and I think keeping it mysterious lets you just believe in what she went through and you just knew it had to been, you know, outrageously uncomfortable and, you know, what she, where she was in what her role was. Now you read a little bit of the novelization of this, right? So you have a little bit more of the backstory. Correct? Yeah, a little bit more of that. Uh, not, although it didn't go into a whole lot. Same kind, you know, same kind of mystery in the in the book as there was in the movie. I I, I don't think they were trying to define all of that. Mm. Um, that I that I really noticed. Okay, Rob, any, any thoughts on Kira? Uh, I liked her character. I you know I do think that there's that big gap between when she gets captured at the starport uh, on Corellia there where she gets separated from Han and then when he kind of rediscovers her as part of Crimson Dawn um, that would be interesting to get some of that backstory as you were pointing out Um, but even without that, uh, there's some really cool twists to her character. I loved her Doc Ondar reference um, (laughs) when they're on Dryden Voss's yacht Um, so you know that was kind of cool tying into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and mm-hmm. then uh, you know the the mention of Terras Kasi, uh, the fighting style that she uses mm-hmm. is yeah. kind of a tie back to some of the the old Legends material. Um, there's actually so many references to Star Wars Legends material in this film, most of which are in Dryden Voss's office. Um, oh, slash, yeah. you know, just, you know, his, his collection, <laughs> which again, uh, that collection I'm sure is, is somehow supposed to be tied to, you know, his relationship with Doc Ondar as well. So, uh, but, you know, in terms of Kira, you know, she, she, she is definitely, I kind of see her as what Han might've turned into had she, had he been forced to stay with that on Corellia as part of Lady Proxima's, uh, you know, group. 
Right. It's a good point, but both of you make there. I can totally see that as a possibility. So interesting stuff. I also felt, and I know maybe some of you will dispute this, but I thought Lando's role could have been bigger. I thought he was kind of pushed to the wayside in many scenes. The scenes he was on, I thought were good. But, you know, I thought that we could have had a little more Lando, and I think it would have maybe improved the film slightly. What do you think, Michelle? Um, It could have probably made some, have some entertainment value to it, but I don't know if it would have moved the storyline along and it might've just been a little clunky. Right. You know, and we always talk about how they don't a lot of times edit these films enough, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that may have been a distraction more than really helping the storyline. It could be true. Rob, Mm -hmm. any thoughts on Lando? I definitely think they could have made more room for him if they would have done away a little bit more with the the droid rebellion portion. <laughs> right. Oh, don't go t- into that. <laughs> <laughs> don't push that button. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> button push. <laughs> I actually... Um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I you know, I... I felt like uh, they kind of glazed over Han Solo's military career, which I wish they would have fleshed out a little bit more because, you know, there's some cool backstories, at least in Legends, in terms of how he fell out of favor with the Imperial Academy. Um, and, you know, there were other things that I thought they could have explored as opposed to some of these other scenes. But I could have I handled more Lando. I could have handled more, more backstory on Han. Um, and given up some of these other things. I did love the fact that it, you did find out you can boot a starship in this film. So <laughs> that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, the boot was hilarious. Uh, so good stuff. So um, I, I, I know I agree with the, some of the L3 stuff. Um, I liked some of the stuff, but there was some stuff that was just a little too much for me. But Michelle's a droid fan, so I, I know she's going to fight droid. us on this. So. Yeah. Uh, yes, ahead, I love Michelle. L3. Um, well, there were a lot of things about L3 to like first of all just in terms of you know that they actually filmed it with a person doing Mm -hmm. that who was of about the same size and everything like that and and tried to you know from what I've seen it looks like they tried to not have as much CGI in that you know as they could Um, you know and again you know I'm kind of contradicting myself because it it, again it doesn't necessarily move the storyline there but um, I did find it was an interesting relationship with with her and Lando. I mean, I think they were both, in their own rights, kind of misfits, different than their counterparts, mm. and maybe because they saw that in each other, you know, that they saw good things about each other that other people might not have, you know, like... Makes sense. He, he was kind of, you know, over the top, and he, I could see where his character wouldn't get along with a lot of people Be a little abrasive to people right yeah. and she was definitely one that would just call it out it was very abrasive thought. to people right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know um and kind of going along with that whole philosophy of this issue of droids and and the are they really servants you know mm. or and and i have problems with that philosophically too so i i don't want to get into go down that path with this right now but i just did feel like the the combination of the two of them made sense thinking about that fact that they were both misfits in their own right and 
you know, kind of got along as a result of that. I get that. I, that, that actually makes sense. But uh, I, I, still a little tough for me to take. Rob, your thoughts. Go ahead. I was I was just going to say, just to clarify, I mean, like Luke Skywalker has a very close relationship with R2. I don't have any problem with that. You know, it is it is a friend. It is a companion right, to him. Right, right. Uh, much in the same way that, you know, the household dog might be a companion. <laughs> um but, you know, if Luke were having a physical relationship with R2, that would probably be a bridge too far. And that's right. kind of where they went between sure. L3 and Lando. And I'm like, you know. Right. Well, I don't I, know. Uh, you know, the thing about it, though, is that I'm not. She, yeah, L3 did say that. But there was never any like, OK, they definitely have hooked up. You know, <laughs> no, no. No, but it was uh, it was actually stated um, later by and I can't remember who who it was, but that had been kind of asked and answered, and and uh, Lucasfilm was basically saying that Lando was I think they called him omnisexual. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that I I'm that like, I believe that's that for right, sure right. I believe yeah. So I was like, I know he's the, I know he's the, you know, ultimate ladies man, but L3. Right. Now that I get, I was thinking just more how they got along, how they worked together and yeah. Pilot and co-pilot, right, nothing right. else for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You saw that with Anakin and R two. I mean, Anakin in the Clone Wars series mm-hmm. would, you know, go out of his way to to recover R two, and you know, Luke followed that same path. So, I mean, there are clearly characters that, you know, their droids are more than just you know a utility for them. Right. It's it's a part of their extended family, and and I have no issue with that. And I'm sure we'll get into a lot of that when we ever we get to that finally that droid episode we're going to do yes. on the Jedi Temple Archives <laughs> it's, podcast. It's coming. It's Although coming. I think. I might have scared you off with inviting me on. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We take all opinions. It makes the show. Yeah, we'll have some fun with that whenever we get around to that episode, for sure. So uh, moving on, uh, you know, I think what's interesting about this film is there are a lot of great scenes in this film that show the Han Solo that he would become from where he is as, you know, whatever he is in his young 20s to the older, wiser, late 20s, early 30s. Han Solo. Um, of course, Tobias Beckett was his mentor, and you could tell a lot of the lessons he learned, for good or for bad, right. were from Tobias Beckett. You know, a lot of the way he reacts to things. Now, don't necessarily trust anyone. Trust yourself. Don't trust anyone else. Of course, he always trusts Chewie, but you know, trust yourself. And of course, at the end, and again, there's another spoiler, so I'm sorry, but we finally get definitive Lucasfilm says, look, Han shot first, okay? Enough of this discussion. He shoots Tobias Beckett first. He shot Greedo first. You know, no matter what George Lucas wanted to change, right. Han shot first. Michelle. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think I agree with you on Beckett being his mentor, although, I don't know, you think of somebody who's an orphan living in the, the situation he was that we see at the beginning of the film, there's got to be a lot of that. You don't trust anybody, but you might find that one person you you do have some faith in, you know, uh, which he had with Kira. Um, and maybe even a little bit with Beckett, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. somewhat, um, you know, but totally, yes, about Han shooting first and that, you know, it, he is a survivor. He's not going to let somebody like that take his life when he knows he's at risk for losing his life. And I think in both of those situations, he, he wasn't dumb. He saw that, okay, these people are possibly going to get me if I don't right. get them first. Agreed on that. Rob, your thoughts? Well, I think that, you know, shooting first was really uh, kind of a psychological uh, reaction to the fact that he was forced to wear what appeared to be acid wash jeans on Corellia. So <laughs> um, that's, a, that's enough to put a little anger in anybody. <laughs> 
<laughs> Love it. <laughs> I got to change my outfit now. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> right. It was interesting though, because you know, he, he learned enough from what Beckett said to know that he had to shoot him because Beckett was going to try to get the draw on him. But mm-hmm. it was really, I think Kira flying off in uh, Dryden's yacht at the end of the film uh, you know, he was still trusting her. And mm-hmm. I think that was really what drove the point home that he needed to to be very careful in terms of who he trusted because he thought he could trust her. And, uh, you know, she had another agenda and she was trying the whole time to let him know that, um, you know, you, this, you don't understand the game that you're playing right now. And uh, he, it, he just did not internalize it, I think, in, until she flew off. Yeah, I, I see part of that. I, I, I do think that there was many things from Beck, especially, you know, he even saw it when uh, I, I always, you're going to, please, Rob, remind me of the game, the chess game. I can never remember the name. Oh, Dejaric? Dejaric, thank you. Uh, Dejaric, he's there teaching Chewbacca to play Dejaric, uh, Tobias Beckett mm-hmm. is, and he tells him, you got to think three, four moves ahead. Right, right. And I right. think that that was, you know, that was what played out. That was definitely foreshadowing as what you needed to know right. going into this. And, you know, it's kind of a Tobias Beckett lesson. I also think Kira nailed down uh, Han in many ways when he said, you know, you want to be the scoundrel. You right. want to be this, you know, this criminal but you're mm-hmm. always going to be the good the guy. guy right. You're always right. going to be the good guy. And it played out in this film and it's played out consistently throughout Star Wars is he always wants to be out, be this mercenary, be this smuggler or whatever. But when it comes down to it, he's going to do the right thing. And I think that they nailed it right there with Kira. I think you'd agree, Michelle. I, I do agree. Um, I think she, she did nail it in that. Um, you know, as you're saying this, it, I, I'm going to really go off on a tangent here and just rein me in or edit post-production <laughs> if you want we're all about tangents here it's all good but i mean if you think of han wasn't he like the guy on casablanca i mean like he he didn't want he oh he kind of acts like he doesn't really want to be involved and he doesn't want to choose sides rick, right yeah rick yeah. that he doesn't want to choose sides with a war he you know he's just in in for himself and yet he does get drawn in. And I think with Han, the same kind of thing happened. You know, he, like you said, he wants to be a scoundrel. He doesn't really want to take sides. He's kind of like, oh, I'm out for myself and, you know, to get what I want. And yet he still tries, he still sees what he needs to do to help those in need. Yeah. Well, I don't disagree with you in that regard. Interesting stuff there. Uh, Rob, your thoughts. Yeah, I've got real, I really got nothing. <laughs> Michelle had such a good point with Casablanca. My brain just went off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dreaming about Casablanca. You know, so. Nicely done, Michelle. Oh, thank oh, you. You derailed me from Star Wars. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. I know. And it Mark was... this date down in history. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on. The critical reception of this film. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave this film what an approval rating of 70%, which is a fairly good rating. Not a great rating, but fairly good. Uh, that was based on 442 reviews with an average rating of 6.39 out of 10. Uh, the site's critical consensus reads, quote, a flawed yet fun and fast-paced space adventure. Solo a Star Wars story should satisfy newcomers to the saga as well as longtime fans who check their expectations at the theater door, end quote. I think that's a very, very accurate mm-hmm. statement from Rotten Tomatoes. Michelle, don't you think so? I, I do, uh, especially if you're just going to the theater and seeing it once, maybe twice. Um more and more that I've watched it and noticed relationships 
and maybe I'm just putting into my own brain what what I'm seeing, but it just seems a lot deeper than I first thought of this movie. I thought of it as a great date movie. Mm-hmm. And now I, I, when I look at the relationships, especially with Han and, and Chewie and Han and Kira and, and all, well, everybody, and how things formulated and came out, I actually thought it had a lot more depth than I initially gave it credit. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? Uh, well, my first thought is that Rotten Tomatoes is apparently using Common Core math because the last time I checked, six point three nine does not, you know, out of ten does not round up to seventy percent, unless you're Han Solo talking about, about the, the Kessel Run. Run. Yeah, that's right. right. Oh, you, you round, round down, down with but... you round down with the Kessel right. Run. Yes. Right, exactly. So they they apparently uh, use a similar rounding technique. But no, I mean, I I would have to say I I would knock two stars off just for them. Uh, following the last Jedi in using the concept of hyper fuel. Um, <laughs> I, I was totally fine in star Wars without talking about gas. Uh, so that, you know, I see in, seeing spaceships stall out because they ran out of fuel is that's <laughs> that's bringing it around too close to home so um, but no i mean I, I i almost wonder if part of the hit in the rating that was given by rotten tomatoes had to do with all of the you know kind of bad pr that it got with them having to uh you know let go of the original directors and bring in ron howard and all the talk of reshoots and taking you know, the actors and sending them to, to acting classes, et cetera. I almost feel like some of that kind of weighed on their minds when they, uh, when they scored this. Um, I, I felt like it was, you know, a solid BB plus. Um, and as Michelle said, it's a, it's definitely a fun movie, but there are deeper undertones to a lot of it that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, would, would be a lot of fun to explore. Right. I give it a solid B. I, I, I think it's a, it, there are some things that really keep it from moving up. But, you know, if you just want to go in there, and that's why I think that their description, uh, their consensus was perfect. It's that if you go in, and yes, you, I agree with you, if you on uh, other viewings, as you watch it more, you can pick out some more nuance to right. it. But your first viewing, maybe even your second viewing of this film, uh, if you go in there and don't expect to be this groundbreaking film that's going to be an Oscar winner or is going to change the universe or you know whatever, right. if you just go in there and look for a heist film that's going to be fun, I, I, I thought it actually pulled it off for the most part mm-hmm. in that. And that's right. why I enjoyed the movie personally. So. Yeah, no, what do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I, I, I think I would say the same thing. You know, it, it was enjoyable if you go in there with the right frame of mind that yeah. it's not going to be a groundbreaking film. Right. It's not Agreed. part of the, you know, trilogy. Agreed. Well, unfortunately, and we talked about this a little bit already, Solo Star Wars Story grossed uh, only $213.8 million in the United States and Canada and $179.1 million in other territories for a, world, a total worldwide gross of $392.9 million. That put it well under what it needed to do to break even uh, in the theater anyway. Uh, we, we already talked about the estimated budget of uh, at least $275 million. That means the, the film needed to gross uh, at least $500 million worldwide to uh, break even. So this is considered the first ever Star Wars bomb at the box office. It did rally a bit on uh, video and streaming releases, which is good to hear. And, and uh, I think people kind of realize maybe we missed out on what was a pretty good movie. I don't know what you think, Michelle. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, being on social media that I, I see the same thing. And, and now with a lot of people promoting, you know, solo two, I don't think there would have been that momentum if people didn't like it. Right. Right. Rob. Yeah. Again, I, I feel like, um, 
there was kind of an, a movement after Last Jedi where people were just deciding that they were going to make a financial statement to Disney, uh, that they were unhappy with the way that the films were headed. And I think that, you know, Solo was really the the recipient of that mm-hmm. angst, I guess, um, because I don't think there was anything about the film that really justified it being, uh, you know, getting those kind of box office numbers. Agreed. Right. I, I completely agree with that. I think, it, like I said before, and I, I really think that they released it too soon after The Last Jedi. The vocal minority out there that really blasted The Last Jedi, I think it was still echoing uh, for just a few months sure. afterwards. I think if they had been able to push it back to November or December, uh, maybe that might have died off a little bit. Uh, you know, we get through uh, some of this other talk and you actually have some more time to develop the storyline. I, I just think it may have improved the box office. But like I said, good news is that through, uh, you know, Blu-ray, DVD, mm-hmm. streaming purchases, it has rebounded. And now we have the push. We had it just uh, a little over a month ago. There was the big push of make solo, hashtag make solo to happen. <laughs> it got a lot of run out on social right. media. We are firmly behind it. So I, I was glad to see that out there. And I know you just mentioned it, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, and I think people were satisfied with Ron Howard mm-hmm. handling it. And, you know, considering if he wa- would be invited back for that. Rob, how do you stand on Make Solo 2 Happen? I would totally be behind uh, Make Solo 2 Happen and Make Solo 3 Happen because I think they were originally planning on a trilogy. So, um, again, I think they did a good job of of, uh, selling the characters that they were asked to recreate. And I think there's a lot of content for them to explore there. There were numerous Han Solo and Lando Carizian books that were part of Legends. um, And they were always good stories. Um, It's kind of interesting to get those storylines that don't really have the Force users in them, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. where you kind of get the the scoundrel aspects. So I think that, you know, that's definitely an untapped part of of the whole Star Wars canon um, that I would like to see uh, rebuilt. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. I, I'm I'm really hoping they uh, get past this, you know, financial bomb status that it had, and they because I really believe they left some things off, they left some things open and hanging in this film that are ready to be answers and ready to be explored. And I really think it, this movie, actually, the legacy of this film might be improved by a solo two or a solo three, right. as you right. as you mentioned, Rob. I, I think you could agree with that. Yeah, especially if they're able to, you know, pick a director and stick with them and yeah. go into it. I mean, I would love to see Gareth Edwards get another Star Wars mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about that more when we get to Rogue One. Next, but, next, um, next month. Yep. Yeah, and it's and it's very reassuring to know that we have people like uh, Michael Giacchino in the wings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you know, obviously we've got John Williams kind of getting up there and. Um, I don't know how much longer he'll be creating Star Wars music. So, you know, the, definitely the legacy um, that was created is in good hands with some of these people that they've had working on these Star Wars films. Sure. Completely agree. Completely agree. So let's move on to just some fun facts. Michelle, do you have any fun facts? Um, well, I guess the one fun fact that um, I, I came up with was that it was a father and son duo writing the screenplay oh, for this. Right. Yes, the Kazdans. Kazdans, yeah, mm-hmm. Larry and John. Um, I, so I thought that, you know, and I've heard some, you know, of their interviews and how the kind of the what you would expect is a struggle of, uh, you know, a father and a son working together, but that those struggles brought their creativity to it. 
you know, elevated their creativity. So mm -hmm. I thought that was a fun fact. Well, it, yeah, it is a fun fact. And the interesting thing about that is that uh, George Lucas actually planned to do a solo standalone movie. And that's when he brought Lawrence Kasdan in to start writing it. Uh, he moved on and started once uh, uh, Disney took over Lucasfilm to start writing The Force Awakens. And it kind of went passed on to his son, Jonathan, uh, to write this. And that's why you have oh, yeah. the father-son team up on right, this. So interesting right. stuff. Yeah. Rob, you have any fun facts about Solo, A Star Wars Story? Only about a, about a million of them. <laughs> right. I can't wait. I love your fun facts. <laughs> All right. So uh, Anthony Daniels had a cameo in this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, on Castle, he was uh, one of the humans named Tack uh, in the Minds of Castle who was kind of involved with that uprising. We had Warwick Davis, who mm -hmm. uh, once again played his uh, face character as part of um, – Emphasis Nest group mm -hmm. of rebels there. And interestingly enough, he was credited as Weasel in the credits, which is the same <laughs> character that he was credited as playing in um, The Phantom Menace when he was seen with Watto betting mm -hmm. on the Padres. So he is actually the same character in both of those films. Wow. Uh, we had the reference to Bosk, the Trandoshan mm -hmm. lizard-like mm -hmm. bounty hunter that we see in Empire Strikes Back. Obviously, we've talked about the fact that Darth Maul makes an appearance. Um which I don't think we uh, did actually. That was no. one thing. Oh, we, that was the one spoiler we hadn't given out. But I, I have no problem with it. But yeah, yeah right, right. Darth Maul does make an appearance in this film. Part of the things why we like we need to make Solo two happen. <laughs> right, and I mean for people who don't follow the animated series and weren't aware that you know his. Uh, bisected tumble down the, the shaft at the end of the Phantom Menace was not the end of his story. That was probably a bigger surprise. Mm -hmm. I know there were people okay. who kind of thought that maybe Boba Fett was going to make an appearance, um, but we do get, you know, Mandalorian armor and Dryden Voss's collection, right. mm -hmm. so to speak. So, um, and then the other character that really jumped out at me was uh, Edrio Two Tubes, who is basically Saw Gerrera's right hand man in oh, Rogue yeah. One. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the alien creature with the, you know, kind of mechanical eyes and the, yeah. the tube mask. Um, it's believed that that is the same character. He actually has an identical twin um, that it could be, but it, I think the going assumption is that it's actually him in this particular film. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be unlikely that they brought in someone who his identical twin when everybody would you know, first respond to that. That is the character right. from Rogue One. Right. Uh, the planet Mimbon, where we uh, see Han Solo kind of in his role as the Imperial Infantry, mm -hmm. was actually a planet that was part of a book uh, that came out after the original Star Wars film called uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, where uh, Luke and Leia are after what's called the Kyber Crystal, which was like a Force item. Um, so it was kind of cool to see that planet get recreated within canon, uh, since that had been kind of pushed into into legends. Right. Um, and they also reference the Pike syndicate, which is the group, uh, the criminal group that was responsible for killing Jedi master Sifo Dyas. Mm -hmm. Um, the Jedi who actually was the one that, uh, had put in the order for the grand army of the mm -hmm. Republic in the attack of the clones and, and the prequel film. So that was kind of cool. Um, they referenced the Maw, uh, as they're kind of, uh, coming out of castle, uh, actually going and coming. Uh, and the Maw was actually in Legends, the site of an Imperial installation, uh, like super top secret Imperial installation where the Death Star mm -hmm. uh, prototype was created and the first Death Star as well as a number of other kind of super weapons that Moff Tarkin, Grand Moff Tarkin had uh, set up. 
And then, oh boy, what else do we have? Uh, the one thing that maybe not a lot of people know was also in Legends. You hear you hear C-3PO in, I believe it's uh, Empire Strikes Back, talking about how the Falcon has a, partic- a, pecu- a peculiar dialect. Mm-hmm, right. Peculiar dialect. <laughs> <Again>, <laughs> words, words I can't say. Right <laughs> Um, and in in Legends, it was supposed to be made up out of three different droid brains. One was an R3 series astromech droid. One was a V5 transport droid. And then there was a slicer droid brain. So kind of them working L3's navigation, uh, her brain into right. the Falcon's computer as kind of the navigation core plays a little bit into that backstory. Right. Uh, and then the other stuff was really all in Dryden Voss's collection. So there's... The large triangle um, mm-hmm. device that you see there that's believed to be a Sith holocron. Although it's kind of hard to believe that uh, Darth Maul would let him have that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it seems like he would have uh, kind of taken taken that for himself. Right. Uh, the Mandalorian armor, armor that I already mentioned. There's a bunch of different references and the items in that room to various Star Wars Legends stories, which are kind of fun for people who, you know, read all those. But the coolest one for me was that the idol from Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark that, you know, Indy replaces with the bag of sand is sitting on that. So there's always this back and forth between Spielberg and Lucas where they kind of work references to each other's films in their uh, in their films. And that is still being carried on, which is really cool. Yeah, there were so many interesting knickknacks that I, I pick out every single time we see uh, Dryden Voss's office lounge, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. That I, I find it uh, very, very fascinating. So those are great facts. My facts are much more uh, superficial than, <laughs> than your deep facts you got there, Rob. Uh, I got things like, uh, did you know that they made 30 different capes for Lando's uh, cape room? I actually thought there were more, but they said they made 30 different capes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe they made. I thought there were more duplicates of some of them. I don't know, but there was only thirty capes made. Uh, You already referenced one of these, Rob. There were two references that I can remember to Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge when this this film. Of course, you mentioned uh, Kira uh, talking about you know uh, making asking a server to make sure that uh, Doc Ondar is uh, taken very well care of. And L three also mentions that uh, you couldn't get to Black Spire without me as their walk up at some one point, uh, which is uh, it was fun for you know those of us who have either been or anticipating galaxy's edge either way uh the working title of the film i thought was fun the working title of the film was red cup as in red solo cup i thought that was kind of clever uh this is the first star wars film where the jedi are never mentioned once and word jedi is never spoken in it it's kind of interesting in that regard so anyway those are my fun facts as far as legacy of this film well can i go back to one thing that rob said yeah go ahead and i had to look it up as as you were talking but um larry kazan was the writer of raiders of the lost Right, that too, but Ra- Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. So if you're yep. saying that there was some things there in the room. Definitely, definitely crossover. Yeah, right, yeah. no question. Yeah, so interesting stuff. One other real quick thing about Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is just kind of a funny side story, uh, that when Spielberg and Lucas had their first kind of get together, and I believe it was on a beach in Hawaii to talk about kind of how <laughs> they how they wanted to approach um, Raiders and 
you know, they basically said, who do we want to have do the music for it? Mm -hmm. And they decided it was going to be John Williams. And then they said, well, all right, well, that pretty much takes care of it. The rest is just details. <laughs> so, you know, it's just That's a true. testament to how important John Williams was to, you know, basically selling the emotion in these films. Yeah. Right. Boy, we're going to miss him in these films. So one of these days uh, when he finally calls it quits, which looks like he's calling it quits for Star Wars films after Rise uh, of Skywalker. But uh, I will tell you next month why you don't have to worry about that when we talk about Michael Giacchino and uh, Rogue One, because wow. there's some really cool information there, too. So. I, do, I do love uh, Michael Giacchino's take on uh, that influence from John Williams for sure in Rogue One. So that's good news. So uh, as far as as far as the legacy of this film, I think it's way too early to tell. And uh, we'll have to see if there are sequels. Again, we're still hashtag make Solo 2 happen. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. But uh, all in all, I think we, we, we've said it many times. We agree. Uh, it's a better film than it, it, it is rated. It's a better film than the box office showed. And if you haven't seen it, and we haven't completely spoiled it for you at this point, <laughs> you should go see uh, Solo. Uh, don't you agree, Michelle? Absolutely. And I think even though we might have spoiled it for somebody who might not have seen it, that it's still an enjoyable film. You know? And I don't think we've given away everything. I mean, and how things play out. Right. Yeah, even, even if we have given away some things, I'm one that even if I get a spoiler, I want to see how that spoiler happens. Right. Rob, uh, your thoughts on the legacy of, of, of Solo? Yeah, I mean, I think I think eventually it's going to be given a, a better shake than it did when it first came out. Because, uh, again, I think that the whole director issue, the directorial issues that they had with it initially um, kind of weighed on it a little bit. And I think that's going to fade pretty quickly. You know, people are just going to associate it with Ron Howard. Um, and... Again, as we've got an entire generation of people that really didn't grow up watching the original trilogy, Han Solo. You know, they saw uh, maybe the prequel trilogy first or, you know, maybe even for younger kids that came in during the sequels. Um, and I, the way they remake movies nowadays, uh, you know, how many Spider-Mans have we had? How many mm -hmm. times have various films been remade with new actors? And I think that maybe as a society, we're just kind of able to make that leap a little bit uh, easier than we used to be. So uh, I don't really think that it's going to be anything that it's going to be a long term uh, weight hanging around the, the shoulders of this particular film. And right. I think that, again, it's an entertaining film. So uh, I think people are if they're just looking for some mindless fun, they're going to be able to sit down and watch this and really enjoy it. Agreed. Absolutely. Completely agreed. So those are our thoughts. Our Star Wars Remembered on Solo, A Star Wars Story. We'd love to hear what you thought about the film. If you haven't seen it, if you do go check it out, let us know what you think. Feel free to contact us. Uh, Rob, we really appreciate you joining us once again for our Star Wars Remembered series. Next time, we are looking to one of our favorite films. I know it's one of Rob's, and uh, it's going to be, yes, Rogue One, Yay. a Star Wars story. And that's exciting. I know you're excited about that, Michelle. Absolutely. I know. How about Rob? You're looking forward to that one? Uh, set aside three hours for that episode. <laughs> <All right. laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, of course, Rob is the host of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Rob, please tell our listeners how they can listen, how they can subscribe, and how they can follow you on social media. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we can pretty much be found on any podcast platform, depending on where you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you listen to podcasts on a particular uh, 
application and you can't find the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, just drop us a line at jtapodcast at gmail.com and uh, let me know and I will make sure that we get it out there. And we can also be found on social social media, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, on Instagram, and on Pinterest at JTA Podcast. So we'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas for shows, please shoot those along. And if you enjoy the show, uh, definitely give us a review and tell a friend and that will help grow our listenership. Yeah, and it is a really great show. Uh, we've talked about it many times, but it's a, it's a show that you know, if you're a real Star Wars fan, you'll enjoy it. If you're kind of that fringe Star Wars fan that doesn't know everything about it, uh, Rob doesn't talk down to you, you know, whereas we, we've known that about many Star Wars fans. They kind of like, oh, you didn't know that? Well, I can't be in the same room with you. Well, that's definitely not the way <laughs> yeah. that Rob approaches his show. I think you would agree, Michelle. Absolutely. And it's enter- it's very entertaining. And, you know, like I always say, I always come out knowing more and feeling better appreciation whether it's watching the movies or just thinking of the characters or whatever so awesome podcast to listen to. yes and plus rob and his wife are two of our very best friends that yes. we really enjoy having time with and we're looking forward to connecting here when you get out to disneyland uh here in just a few months i am just counting down the days i want right. to get into galaxy's edge i want to meet up with you guys and uh yeah We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Well, Samesies. Yes. <laughs> and I promise, you know, both in person and, and on the podcast, I won't make you feel like a jerk. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> exactly. Oh, gosh. Well, we've, we've already hashtagged it or, uh, oh, you know, oh, typed man. it, uh, the tagline for it, the, the Star Wars podcast that doesn't make you feel like a jerk. I still get ready. <laughs> I know, but it's so cute. And you love it. Oh, it's so funny. It's, it's perfect. You know, as, as my parents used to say, he only does it because he loves you. That's <laughs> right. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> so, Rob, thanks again. And we'll look forward Definitely. to talking with Thank you again uh, next month in regards to Rogue One. Always a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. And we will talk soon. Awesome. All right. So thanks again to Rob LaBerry of the uh, Jedi Temple Archives podcast. We really enjoy his show and I hope that you enjoy it as well if you're a Star Wars fan or even just even just a little bit of a Star Wars fan. I really think you will. Right. And if uh, you're planning to hit uh, Galaxy's Edge and you don't feel like you really know Star Wars, that's the place to really start because you're going to get a lot of great information. Uh, you can do that as well as watching the, the films and be really immersed in galaxy's edge agreed and that's speaking of galaxy's edge we talked about it at the open of the show yes we were blessed lucky enough that we were able to do a second visit to star wars galaxy's edge at the disneyland resort we got the reservation uh months ago and it just worked out schedule wise for us so yes uh we visited on yesterday on saturday uh june 22nd we had the 11 a.m to 3 p.m window uh we got to do uh, some new stuff that we haven't done in the past. We got to redo some stuff we had already done on our first visit, but it was just a, it was a great day at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I think you'd agree, Michelle. I, I definitely agree, and I uh, definitely want to appreciate um, Disney that they really did take into consideration people's feedback from their experiences. I mean, we saw that throughout our visit yesterday, how much better it was, how much easier it was to do things compared to day two, um, which obviously you would, you would expect to see, but yeah, they definitely listened to people and made some um, very quick changes to make it a better experience. Right. So they had, uh, what they did was they, they realized uh, what the 
two most popular things outside of, of course, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run that people would want to go to. So as you're in the staging area waiting to get in, they told you right off the bat, go with this person. They're going to lead you to Savi's workshop, which a lot of people wanted to go to. And there was always a line for and you needed right. to get a return time for that. The other was to go to Oga's Cantina. The same thing. You needed a return time as opposed to when we went the first time to Oga's Cantina. We, we haven't tried Savi's workshop. But when you went to Oga's Cantina, uh, there was this you had to wait in a queue and it would open, it would close. It took a lot of time to get in there. It really kind of uh, messed with your day a little bit. Matter of fact, it took a, you know, a good hour out of our day at stars galaxy's edge, just trying to get into Oga's cantina, but they did it completely differently. This time you went up there, you got in, you told them how much, how many people were in your party. Only one of you had to go to begin with. They gave you a return time ticket. And then you just got back in the queue at that time. And it only took us about 10 minutes, I think, from that point right, to get exactly, in. Exactly. Yeah. It actually kind of worked like a paper fast pass, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think because they've done well with that, they were able to, to apply that to this situation. And you're right. It was a totally better experience. The first time we went... We went to go into the line. They said 45 minutes. We thought that was too extensive. So we came back and the line wasn't open. So we were actually kind of in the background waiting for the line to open just to get back into line. Wait another wait 45 another minutes. 45 in the minutes line, yeah. to an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we lost a lot of our four hours in the first time visit trying to get into Olga's Cantina. Right. So it was good to see that they had learned from what happened. I think they learned early on. I had a tip the first week uh, of how to uh, go about doing that. And they completely went out the window because they changed their process right right away, which is good. I'm glad they're learning from this. And I think you're going to find that many times with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge over the next few months is that they're going to find out a lot at how to handle it at the Disneyland Resort. And Walt Disney World Resort has right. their eyes on this and is trying to figure out exactly how they want to handle it out there once that opens up in August, on August 29th as well. Right, right. I mean, one of the big things that we notice is in terms of the point of entry, you know, having the pulling the crowds away from the Disneyland portion and getting them in that queuing area or that, the well, staging, that area. staging area, an area that served as a staging area. Um as opposed to having people come in from all the entrances. Mm-hmm. And I know that he, here in California, they have three entrances, whereas in uh, Florida, they'll only have two entrances. So, I mean, right now they were able to manage those large crowds, you know, of a big influx all this, all of a sudden where it's not a trickle in. It'll be interesting to see how it works after this. Right. It's going to be really interesting to see what now, because the reservation uh, now ends Tomorrow, probably for most of you that are listening to this, it's already ended. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how things change. What we're talking about now is going to probably be completely different uh, now that the reservation system there is ending and that there could be, we're going to be boarding groups and some other things. We're going to go over a few details of that coming up here when we get to the Disney stories of the week. But let's talk a little bit about we got what we got to do because of the fact that we weren't waiting in line for Oga's <laughs> Cantina for as long or waiting to get in line for right. Oga's Cantina. We were able to do Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run Twice, Twice, which was awesome. We were so excited. We got to do, uh, we got to play as gunners this time right. for the first time, and we got to be pilots again the second time, and that yes. was great. I oh, think great. absolutely, absolutely. You know, and um, although it's yeah, you you 
you're think, oh gosh, I, I got to be the pilot or it's going to be a disappointment. It really isn't. No. Being the gunner was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you had a different experience, a different focus. So um, we haven't played the engineer yet. No. So, so we'd like to try that at some point. Right, well. right. But as you're, as you're hearing the instructions, I know the engineers were, were having to do a lot of things too. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it was fun, it, you know, and it's fun to see how you did compare to your other mm-hmm. mission in terms of your points and what you've accomplished. So it, it's all an all around great ride. Yeah, sure. I really enjoyed it. It's so much fun. It's just if you I'm a lover of video games in general uh, and it's just it's it's an attraction and a video game at the same time. And it's just it's a lot of fun. And plus you're flying the Millennium Falcon and you know, it's just it's really interesting. I, I, I still think, I mean, I haven't tried engineer yet, but I, I would love to be the pilot more often because I think the pilot is just such a cool place to be and you're, you see much more in control of things. But that's not to say that all the roles aren't great and that you they're all vital to what happens as a, as a crew. Right, right, exactly. But I really enjoyed being the gunner. I'm not saying I, I would want to just replicate you beat that. me. You were a better gunner than <laughs> yeah. I was. Although it was funny, I had more points but less um, accuracy percentage which is totally opposite of what we are on for midway, midway mania, mania. <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious so uh that was great uh so we got to try that twice because of that we we went in there we, we as soon as we checked in for oga's cantina and got our return time we were able to look up we were one of some, the first groups to get in there like we we since we had had the history and we'd already done it we kind of knew where to be and how to get into the earliest group in the staging part and so we were able to get in there early um, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run was still down to 15 minutes so we were able to jump right in that right away went and did a couple other things went back to Ogus Cantina and then later on as the line uh, shrunk again down to right. 20 minutes we went on it again actually got to see a little more of the queue which was interesting right, because we had exactly. a little more time in the queue uh, but that was a lot of fun we also uh, I got to try I personally tried out the Ronto Roasters I tried the Ronto Wrap <laughs> which was I loved it it was a, um, you know I mean it's basically a, a fancy hot dog you know right. but it's a, it's a nice spicy sausage that has a little peppercorn sauce to give it a little spice but it's cooled down with this coleslaw and it's got like kind of this uh, pita or flatbread wrap around right. it. it it really is good and I really enjoyed it. It was easy to eat and just walk around with, you know, it's a nice handheld dish and a uh, great thing to have. You just right. want to grab something quickly and explore uh, Star Wars Galaxy's right. Edge. Right, exactly. I mean, and I think that was the, uh, when you're talking about food, that was the one thing I think we experienced because um, the time frame that we were going in there, 11 to 3, that's when most people are going to be looking for some kind of lunch. So we actually, I think, experienced more lines with that than some of the other issues or other things that we were going to True. see because people were in line to go eat. Um, you could do mobile ordering. The return time for mobile ordering was a little bit inconvenient for us for what some of the other things we were doing. So um, that is an option and it's going to be, you know, definitely beneficial for people. But that, that was a funny coincidence that it was like, it was going to take longer to get our lunch than it was to get on uh, Smuggler's Run. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was funny. It was interesting stuff. Uh, the other thing we got to do is we got to finally go use the, the Play Disney app for some of the different uh, 
games and hacks and different things yeah. you can do throughout there. And welcome, we need, resistance. Yes. Uh, and, but we barely touched, we barely scratched the surface of that. We did a couple yes. things, but there is so much to do involving with the Play Disney app. And I, we, did, we didn't do it the first time around, but the second time around, we did the Millennium Falcon. I had it on. And yes, we got 7,800, I think, credits uh, deposited <laughs> into our account for a fairly successful mission. So uh, there's so much stuff that you can do there and check out. And uh, I was, you know, I was telling Rob this off the air a little bit ago, Rob LaBerry, who we just talked with uh, about, uh, you know, Star Wars Remembered, um, that it's, I've been, we've now been there twice. And yes, we were blessed to have been there twice, but I love that land so much. It's so great. There's so much to do. There's so much to look at. There's so much to experience. It's amazing. When you get in there, you're going to love it. Whether it be coming up here at the Disneyland Resort or coming up here at the end of August at the Walt Disney World Resort, there is so much to explore and enjoy that you're just going to be blown away by it. I think you'd agree, Michelle. Oh, absolutely. A lot, a lot of details. Um, Hidden Mickeys, very creative ways of of bringing... And I know we only saw a few, and I know there's got to be tons more... Um, but like you're saying, with the Play Disney Parks app, a lot of fun things to do there. If you plan to do use that, your mobile device for that, though, you probably will need something to recharge it because it does consume a lot of battery, but it's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. you know. And especially considering that, you know, if you're looking at this land, um, it, you know, right now it only has one attraction to go into even though there's a lot of other things to see and do it does that gives you an outlet to have some more activities within that land uh, to keep you really busy throughout the day yeah uh it's really fun and yes um and that's true of the play disney app in many regards no matter where you're using the park it will eat up your battery so be prepared to have some sort of backup charger or a way to uh, to get your phone recharged because it will eat it up quickly but uh, we had a great time. Absolutely. And the other thing that, and I was rethinking today about our experience because it was just so much fun. But one of the, it's, this is, okay, this is kind of a hokey girly thing to say. But um, <laughs> what I also really liked is we were done there. Yeah, it's a great land and we're, we're, it was, you know, so much fun. And it's always sad when, you know, of course, the, the way they're doing it right now where you have a time frame that you can't exceed that was like oh we gotta leave here but then you walk out and you're at disneyland (laughs) (laughs) and you're seeing things in fantasy land and tomorrowland and stuff and it's like well this is fun too (laughs) it's true so it was a fun transitioning out even though we had to say goodbye to galaxy's edge um it it's fun to leave there and go right into another different world. But to your point, which is interesting as well, is that it just goes to show you how immersive this land is, is that you almost forget right. that you're in Disneyland. Yes. And so when you leave the park and then all of a sudden, oh, that's right. It's right here. <laughs> right. All this stuff that we love. Uh, it, just another credit to the people who developed this and how yes. they wanted to do it and how good it is. So right. um, really enjoyed it. We're looking forward to hearing all of your experiences once you get to enjoy it as well. And if you want any pointers, I don't know if we have a lot of pointers because things are going to so dramatically change uh, coming up here with the the reservation system going down. But uh, we would be happy to share anything we can with you if you want to contact us. Right. I mean, and, you know, kind of similar to what we've said when we went, you know, the prior time is that, you know, you don't want to miss going um, through the shops, through Merchant's Mm -hmm. Row. And it's, it's not like 
other Disney shops. You're not going to find things there that are, you know, Disney-esque. It's, it's very much Galaxy's Edge, and that's where you're at. Um, but it's, it's fun to just to see the unique things, the decor that they use, things that look alive and mm -hmm. move around, um, and, and the cast members, how really into it that they are. It just makes the whole experience that much more enjoyable. So, um, you know, even if you're not planning to buy anything, it's fun just to go through Merchant's mm -hmm. Row. But, you know, we did see, yes, obviously there's going to be things that are super expensive that, you know, you'll drool over. But there's also things that are, you know, more moderately priced that if you wanted to have some kind of a souvenir from mm -hmm. that area, you're going to be able to walk out and, and not you know, break the bank. Yeah, completely agree. You can go either way with it. You can break the yes. bank there. Believe me, I saw plenty of people breaking the bank yes. there with some of the stuff they purchased. But there are also little knickknacks, little things that you can remember your your journey to Batu with. Exactly. Uh, and you really enjoy yourself. So a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to getting back at some point. Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens. Now that the reservation period is ending, let's move on to our third main topic. We have so many main wow. topics today, but we're going to do this one really quickly. Uh, if you want to get more of our review of Toy Story 4, I wrote one. You can find it on our website. But uh, we just want to go quickly through it. We saw Toy Story 4 on uh, Thursday evening. And... Uh, Boy, it was really enjoyable. It is so good to see, be back with our toy friends right. again and see what how they've progressed. It's I don't think it's that much farther timeline-wise past uh, when Andy went away to college, mm -hmm. but it, it, it is interesting to see where we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's always just really amazing how they can take this group of friends and come up with another storyline that, you know, puts them through adventure and, you know, share a lot of things, go through some hardships. And, and I know we're not doing any spoilers, but that's just Pixar, right? Mm -hmm. Every Pixar movie has that. So, but it, it is great to see them having um, some rich storylines. Right. Uh, agreed. And I, we were concerned about that. Like, okay, they're making another one. They seemed like they wrapped up Toy Story so well with Toy Story 3, right. which we both loved very much. Uh, we was like, okay, well, what are they going to do now? How are they going to make this happen? And I don't know if it matched Toy Story 3, but it is, it's right up there with Toy Story, Toy Story 2, right. Toy Story 3. And there's different opinions on what's your favorite film. It's, it's right in that mix of being a, a very great movie. The animation is unbelievable. Believable. Right. The facial gestures they can make, uh, the expressions, or just the scenery. It looks like wow, that looks that road looks so real, or that field looks so. The cat, the cat yes. was amazing. Yeah, it was unbelievable what they were able to do with the animation within this film. It's you know, if you go back and watch Toy Story, and then you see how far they progressed, right. and you can see it. If you were to go and just watch Toy Story, Toy Story Two, Toy Story Three, right. and see the progression, it's incredible to see what they can now do with this yes. computer animation. It's Definitely. amazing. So um, this this movie did have heart. I did tear up a couple times, uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't say it is them that wrecked me like Toy Story three did right. because I was a mess, and I know yes, you were too yes. during Toy Story three. But it did have heart. I compare this movie more. I think this is more similar to Toy Story two, maybe Toy Story. It's kind of more of the, the, the toys out on an adventure. Uh, you know, it's more of that kind of feel sure. with the humor. Yes, there is heart. There's always heart in these Toy Story films, but I kind of compare it more to either Toy Story the original or Toy. Story. Story too. Right. And I think too, um, 
you know, when you look at a, a film that brings in some new characters and needs to take time to develop some of what they are, it, you know, you might lose a little bit in the emotional aspects. Mm -hmm. Whereas Toy Story 3, we pretty well knew everybody. Um, and it was just, you're already endeared with them right. and seeing what they were going through. I mean, yes, there were some new characters in that one too, but I think they really stuck to a lot of the heart of the characters that were the originals. Agreed. I, I, speaking of the new characters, I loved, I think all the new characters, mm -hmm. but especially, you know, Forky was great. Tony Hale playing Forky totally enjoyed him yes. and his little development there. Uh, Ducky and Bunny. Uh, oh my God. They're just so, hard. so <laughs> funny. They're so great. Uh, yeah, they, I just love them so much. And Duke Kaboom. Yes. <laughs> Keanu Reeves as Duke Kaboom. Every time he's on the screen, he just kind of steals the scene. Right. It's, it's just so funny. So uh, I think bottom line is we, we would agree that we loved Toy Story 4. It's, it's definitely another mm -hmm. great Toy Story film. Is it the best Toy Story film? Probably not. But it's definitely worthy to be named Toy Story because oh, it, it is really, really great. And we, oh, and the Easter eggs, by the way, there's so yeah, much to see that we that. didn't even scratch the surface of all the different interesting things there are to see in it. Yes. We can't wait to see it again. Oh, I know, I know. Just to to see more of those details and pick some more of those things out. That was really fun to to have that included, to have them included in the film. Right completely agree with you so uh, that's our review of Toy Story 4 we'd love to hear what you feel about it once you've seen it we may eventually in another episode uh, go into a spoiler filled thing we just don't have enough time to do both today so we just figured we'd stick with the spoiler free just in case you haven't seen it yes. yet so let's move on let's get to the Disney stories of the week we've already talked a lot about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge well that's one of the biggest stories this week is that the reservation system at the Disneyland Resort for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge comes to an end Today, when we're recording this on the 23rd, on June 24th, Monday, tomorrow, uh, it's going to be a different system. So let's get into some of the details about how, if you're going to the Disneyland Resort and want to get into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, how you can get in there. This is all from the Disney Parks blog. Beginning on June 24th, the Disneyland Resort may utilize a virtual queuing system as needed to help everyone have a great experience, is what they say. Uh, you can download the Disneyland app before arriving and check the app or sign it on the day of your visit to find out uh, if you will need, you will need, and they say if you will need, you will probably certainly need uh, to be part of a boarding group to visit Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that day. The boarding group will save you a virtual spot in line so that you can enjoy the experiences while you wait to be notified of your time to enter. So basically what's going to happen is, yes, if you happen to be staying at the Disneyland Resort and it's an early ma extra magic hour or whatever, you're probably going to be able to pretty much be part right. of that first group, get in. You cannot access this uh, boarding group before you scan your ticket or your annual pass at the gate. As soon as you get in, it shows your ticket or your annual pass scan through. You can get on the app and register and they'll give you a boarding group time. And right. so you kind of know when you're going to go in. Yeah. And so for those of you who are familiar with the max pass at Disneyland, it would work similar to mm -hmm. that. You, you know, uh, at Disneyland, you, you cannot do advanced, um, fast pass arrangements you do it once you arrive in like you said honey that you ch you've checked in so that's what this sounds like it very much mm -hmm. it mimics that type of process right you know but i also love that they are looking at ways so that people who do go in there really enjoy their experience to have it 
a more controlled amount of people. Yes. So we'll, we'll be interesting to see how many people in there. I haven't heard yet if there's going to be a time limit on people in there. So if you do enter in, if you enter in at 8 a.m., can you be there till midnight? I don't know, but we'll find out more as we progress here. So uh, continuing on with Disney Parks blog write-up of this, you may use the Disneyland after a quest to be part of a boarding group after any Disneyland park, just what we talked about. Uh, simply link the theme park tickets of everyone in your party together on the app to request the same boarding group for your entire party. To see which boarding group is currently being admitted to the land, look on the app or digital signage at the park. Uh, if you enable push notifications on your mobile device, you will be notified when it is your time to enter the land. If not, continue to check the Disneyland app or digital signage in the park uh, so you can enjoy other stuff around the park while you're waiting for your time uh, to get in there. Uh, if you do get that cue of saying, hey, your boarding group is ready, you don't need to rush to the entrance is what they say. You have two hours to get in there. So if you're going and having lunch and you're in the middle of lunch and they're saying, oh, your time is here, you don't need to dump your lunch right. <laughs> or get out of the queue for Space Mountain or whatever it may be to run over to Galaxy Edge, you have time to get there, so don't worry about that. If you're not using the app for whatever reason, you can still get a boarding group by using some of the fast pass locations throughout the park. Here's where they are they're at Haunted Mansion, Indiana Jones Adventure, Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, or near the Matterhead Bobs, Matterhorn Bobsleds. You can go ahead and uh, There'll be areas apparently there where you can scan your ticket and get a fast pass for your boarding group, essentially. So you can kind of do that. So you don't have to have the app. The app is more convenient, but you don't have to have that. Right. So that that's great. And I mean, one thing about at Disneyland, too, is they have a lot of um, areas set up where they actually have... I guess you'd consider them almost like guest services people. They have little podiums and things throughout. So, you know, if you cannot find the fast pass areas, then, you know, certainly stop one of those cast members and they can help guide you. Yeah, always willing to help. They are mm -hmm. there to answer your questions and they'll be willing to help you for sure. Now, uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge may no longer need uh, reservations, but if you're planning on, and we just talked about this a little bit ago, if you're planning on going to Savi's Workshop or Oga's Cantina, you will need a reservation to get in there. Now, here's an interesting bite to this. Uh, if you want to go visit one of those, uh, you can book a reservation on the day of your visit beginning at 7 a.m. with a valid credit card. So you'll need to go on the website or you will need to go on the app to do this at 7 a.m. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the credit card will reserve that. If you don't show up for Savi's workshop, you are going to pay as if you bought a lightsaber 200 bucks. Right. If you don't show up for Oka's Cantina, it's reasonable. It's only 10 bucks. But you, you want to make sure you know these things going in and for some reason you can't make it in. But the good news about this is that if you are able to book these reservations at 7 a.m. or whenever you can in the morning, I'm sure they'll go pretty quickly, you do not need a boarding group. Having that reservation will allow you to get into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So that's a kind of a way to know that 7 a.m. in the morning, if you can book one of those reservations, you're getting into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that day. Right. But again, I don't know that you're necessarily limited to that. Um, and they, I would understand that they 
I think they do take walk-ins. It's just limited and you don't know for sure if you're going to get in. And you, like you said, right. without having that reservation, whether you would get a boarding pass to get into the land altogether. Right. They say you'll need a reservation for both those things. I would still, when you get in there and we'll find out more details as this new system comes into play, mm-hmm. I would still go at, like if you're going, going in on Monday and it's the first day or the first couple of days, mm-hmm. I would still go to Ogus Cantina and ask them, go to Salvi's workshop and ask them, just ask questions. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But if you don't get a reservation, it can't hurt to check to see if you can be a walk-in to get a return time, whatever it may be. Maybe you can get in there. Who knows? Uh, If you want to get the reservations, uh, go to Disneyland.com slash Savvy's Workshop. Obviously for Savvy's Workshop, if you're going to Ogus Cantina, go to Disneyland.com slash Cantina to get the important details in regards to that. Yeah. So as I said, I think it's great that they are doing things to help control the amount of people going in so that the people who are there are experiencing a very, you know, having the best experience, you know, whereas other parts of the parks, they really can't do that. So it's, it's good that they're taking that into consideration. It's also good to know that if you get that boarding group or whatever, you can mm-hmm. not just sit and wait and wonder, am I getting in there? You'll know right. that, that it's going to happen at some point. And you can go enjoy the rest of the park in the meantime until, and you can even go over to Disney California Adventure Park and enjoy right. some time over there if you want, just waiting to hear back from when your boarding group is going in. So interesting stuff. I think there's going to be a, some, some tweaking and twisting to it that's going to happen over the next several weeks, months, uh, as they kind of figure this whole process out. But uh, it's good to see that they're working on, not that we were surprised that they weren't. They knew what was that they had here. They knew they were going to have to do some things to uh, make it not be just absolutely insane every time you tried to go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Right. Absolutely. Let's move on from park news to theater news. And yes, uh, we just talked about the great new Pixar film that was just released, Toy Story 4. Well, Pixar also announced that they the title for a new film that's coming out next year in June. Uh, this straight from Forbes.com. Uh, this was a quote actually from uh, the tagline or uh, something about the story to the upcoming movie. Quote, ever wonder where your passion, your dreams and your interests come from? What is what is it that makes you you? That reads the tagline for Pixar's upcoming original soul which is the new film that's going to be coming out in June of next year of 2020. Soul will arrive in theaters and take its viewers, quote, on a journey from the streets of New York City to the cosmic realms to discover the answers to life's most important questions, end quote. Fans on Twitter were quick to draw comparisons to older Pixar films like Inside Out, uh, which explored an adolescent girl's emotional struggle to adjust to a new city. Uh, it doesn't surprise you that it'd be comparing it to this because this film is being directed by Pete Docter, who did, of course, Inside Out. He also did Up. Some of the more heart-filled mm-hmm. Pixar films. Not that they don't all have heart, right. but I think when you, you you see a Pete Docter film, heart is at the base yeah. of it. You know? Emotion. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to be interesting the way they've uh, created this. And I, I, I loved, I'm intrigued by it. Let's just say that. And that right. the fact that there's Two Pixar films coming out within months of one another next year because uh, Onward, who we just got the trailer for uh, just recently, and it was on the Toy Story 4 
uh, trailer grouping right. that is there um, just came out as well. And that's coming out in March of 2020. And that's interesting because, you know, one, it's voiced by Tom Holland, who we know for Spider-Man, right. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Octavia Spencer, Chris Pratt, of course, from many films, including The Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, that's coming out as well. So it's just interesting. It's rare that you see a year where there's two Pixar films coming out in that same year, but even more so, so close together. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Um, and it sounds like they're, you know, like one is, a, you know, more of a, a story of with adventures and the other one is, at least it sounds, soul sounds more like uh, one of those, like you said, heartfelt or emotionally driven of kind of the wise pe- people do things. Whereas the other one is more of an adventure. Yeah. Uh, so it, it yeah, like it's it. gonna be yeah, compl- I may be totally far off. Right, which we probably will be by the time <laughs> these come out. They'll be completely different than what we expect them to be. But uh, just interesting. And I'm so excited that we have two new Pixar films. They're not sequels. They are brand new original Pixar films that are coming out here in 2020. And I love all the Peep Doctor stuff. So I, oh, I really yeah. expect Soul will be excellent. And maybe I'm setting the bar too high, but I'm really expecting this. Uh, staying in the theater, the one more quick note here, Avengers Endgame is getting a re-release in theaters with added footage because you know, we needed uh, eight more minutes or whatever it is that we haven't seen before to the three-hour-plus movie. But uh, that being said, I'm excited to go see the extra eight minutes of Avengers Endgame and when it comes out to theater. Uh, from what we hear, it's mostly just stuff at the end of the film, a post credit scene, a tribute. Uh, so excited to check that out. And also, one other note that I just discovered today, and this goes back to Parks News and back to the Disneyland Resort, actually Disney California Adventure Park, if you haven't gone to had the chance to go see uh, the reissue of Soren Over California, it back on oh, Soren Over California. Well, they've extended it. Yay! It's going to be gone, uh, continuing out there due to popular demand through the end of August. So that's great news. At first, it was just going to be to the end of June. Now it's going to the end of August. So if you haven't got to go re-see. I don't know if even that's a word, but I'm having my struggles this afternoon. <laughs> if you haven't got to review, re-experience, got to check it out again, uh, you still have the chance to go see Soarin' Over California at Disney California Adventure Park. And that's great news. And and we, we did see it again recently, and it was fun. You know, the buzz of everybody in line, you know, that people really did like that one still. And, and yes, you know, there's a lot of great things about the new, you know, Soaring film, but that traditional one just has a lot of great things that people appreciate. Right. We love Soarin' Around the World, but Soarin' Over California is the OG. It's the best one in our opinion. We love it so much, and we're so glad that it's back, and we're so glad that we still might have a chance to check it out another time. Hopefully, I really would like to see them keep it around or keep it popping up at regular occasions every once in a while, but I'm so glad that we, we, one, have already had a chance to experience it again, but two, we may have another chance to experience it over the next couple months. Maybe they can do it seasonally like they do with the Dole Whip cotton candy. Yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it. I still wanted them to do it like Star Tours, where you walk in and you don't know which one you're going to get. But I, I, of course, I'm making the Imagineers do something that they're not prepared to do, but I think that would be awesome personally. But So that's it for our Parks News. Just about to wrap up the show, but we never finish off any show without getting some sort of tip that might help you on your next vacation, whether it might help you when you're going to see a movie, whenever you're going to the parks, Disney Cruise Line, whatever it may be. And we always start with Michelle. One, because she's lovely, wonderful, (laughs) beautiful, all things that's good with the world, but also because she always has the absolute 
absolute very best tip. So let's get right <laughs> to it. Without any further ado, let's get to Michelle's tip of the week. Well, thank you, honey. Um, that's very sweet. I, I I hope not to disappoint. <laughs> you never do. That's the thing is you never disappoint. Well, so I'm kind of going back to a little bit of a theme that I've shared in the past as it relates to their uh, the park's first aid stations. And I know I've talked about that before, mainly as it related to getting, um, you know, maybe baby supplies if, if you've forgotten something at home or if you are breastfeeding, you know, the... the availability there of a quiet private place for that um and i know when you see first aid you think that's the place to go to get a band-aid um and that is true but there are a lot of other things that they can help with that can really be a vacation saver so um starting with the basics you know if let's talk blisters and you know, that can be a literal pain. Uh, Why would you get a blister? I don't understand. <laughs> I know. You're not like on your feet all day I know, walking right? for miles when you're at the parks. <laughs> I, I, so, you know, and, and obviously that would detract from your park enjoyment. So if, if you do experience a blister, don't go in and just ask for a band aid. let them know that you have a blister, you know, let the professionals help wrap it up. It's, it's going to, you know, that that'll last longer it will hurt less. And, you know, it's really a much better way than just going in and asking for a Band-Aid. But in addition to that, there are some other things that could really um, impact your vacation to the point where you might say, oh, we have to leave the park because of this. And this first aid station may be able to really help you out. And I'm not trying to say, say, the issue of an urgent care. I'm not, I don't want to spread it in that regards, but let's say you have somebody in your part party that's really having some symptoms of dehydration, you know, and the first aid station can be a really great cool spot to take a moment to get rehydrated, um, or get avoid getting into a worse situation of becoming extremely ill from the dehydration, you know, and, and this is really an issue, especially for really tiny ones or elderly visitors who are more prone to dehydration or more sensitive to heat. So keep that in mind. Uh, and another way that it can prevent, uh, a situation from getting more serious is you might have somebody who in your party is experiencing panic attacks. I mean, we all love and appreciate the stimulation that the parks bring. Um, but it also can be what plays into somebody's ability to feel comfortable or safe in that situation. So if you do have somebody experiencing a panic attack, one of the things the first aid station can be is a real oasis, a, a place to get away from all that stimulation and all the, the crowds and really have a chance to regroup and regain confidence to be able to go back and experience the park. So, you know, um, like I said, it, it, it could really make or break the need to leave a park. So I'm trying to get people to not feel like you have to leave the park if you're having any of these kind of issues or other kind of issues. Um, remember that they're there for you and they can really help bridge you to get back into the swing of having fun at the parks. Yeah, uh, it's a perfect place. And they, they do also supply things like if you need some Tylenol, if you need some uh, sunscreen, right. they have all sorts of things like that. If you have, for whatever reason, forgot to bring them into the park, right. uh, I mean, you're in a pinch. I mean, I wouldn't overuse it. But if they if you do find yourself where you need something like that, they have that there. But uh, yeah, uh, the first aid 
areas are uh, really great areas and they do stock them and do wonderful things there. And of course, Michelle's tip, always the best tip because it really is something important. I mean, you know, you talked about the blisters. Yes, they happen. You know, different things happen. Dehydration and... Uh, heat to stroke or right. heat, you know, it really can happen very easily. Not only, yes, of course, in Florida and Orlando, yes. we know that it's humid, it's hot, especially during the summer, but most of the time, most of the year, it can be that way. But yes, even at Disneyland Park mm-hmm. or at uh, the Disneyland Resort, uh, they can get very hot there and very dry and there's not a lot of coverage for you and not as many ways to cool you down as they have at the Walt Disney World Resort. So you need to be wary of that. And it, you know, the first aid stations are definitely a place that you can take advantage of trying to kind of get your group recovered for sure. Absolutely. So again, Michelle's tips, always the best tips. <laughs> uh, and more, and that is a very, that's a very important tip that you, you really do need to know if you're going on these vacations that you could run into at any one time. My tip, very simple tip and <laughs> something you probably don't really need to know, especially if you're not going to the Disneyland Resort, you definitely don't need to know this. But I got a little tip for you this week, something we actually did this week uh, when we went, and that is to, if you're going and you're parking at the Mickey and Friends parking garage, or was coming out, which is the new Pixar Friends uh, parking garage, excuse me, Pixar Pals parking garage. Uh, If you're going that way, and let's say you're going to Disneyland Park first, and especially if you're going someplace deep in the park, whether it be Tomorrowland Mm -hmm. or Fantasyland, you might want to think about taking the monorail in because there is a way from downtown Disney where you can get into the park and take the monorail straight into the middle of uh, Disneyland right. Park. And we did that on this last trip, knowing that we were going right in to check in for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the launch bay at Tomorrowland. Why go all the way to the front and go in when we could go in this different way? And I'm going to tell you also why that's sometimes a much more interesting way to go in. Uh, first, again, this is if you're coming from either of those parking garages or if you're coming from any of the uh, Disneyland resort hotels there. They're on that side of uh, downtown Disney if you've ever been there before or if you've never been there before to kind of help you out. Uh, They have right now a walking path that gets you to downtown Disney from uh, the, the parking garages right. and, of course, the resort hotels. Soon there will be a walking bridge. We saw it being constructed. It's not yes. done yet. By the way, that Pixar Palace parking garage looks very close to being opening. We saw them trying out the escalators <laughs> while we were there. That gives me a, a sure sign that they're getting pretty right. close to opening that. The uh, walking bridge still looks like it's a little ways away, but I don't think it will take that long for them to open up. That would be even an easier way to get there. But, yeah, you can walk rather than taking the tram walk down into downtown Disney. The security into downtown Disney from the area you come from usually is pretty light. You can just breeze right. through it pretty quickly. As a matter of fact, we had a couple of security agents that were just waiting there. They would look bored yeah. because no one was there. <laughs> they weren't checking any bags. Whizzed right through there. It's just a few steps from there to get to where the monorail is. The gate there usually doesn't have much weight to get in there to get your tickets or your annual passes scanned. You go in, you get on the monorail. It comes, uh, actually, the, we were, they were only at one running when we were there, so it was a little bit delayed but usually they have a couple running at any one time and you can get in pretty quickly the best thing about this is it gives you just like if you know from the walt disney world resort when you're going into epcot it gives you this sweeping view it kind of goes through the park and gives you a kind of a view when you get in there same thing with the monorail at disneyland is it goes through disneyland park you get these great views of of uh fantasy land and Tomorrowland as you're going through right. there in some of the areas and it's just a great way to kind of enter the park in a different way i mean it, you know of course you want to go down main street it's always something great 
worried about going down Main Street right. and seeing the castle in front of you. But if you've already done that on this trip and you, n- you want to get in a, in a different way, I, I, I really recommend this. It drops you off right there in Tomorrowland so you can get to anything that's there. It's really right next to the Matterhorn and Fantasyland as right. well. And it's just a really nice and different way to get into the park. And we use it often. And it, it really is one of our favorite ways to to get in and yeah. experience the magic right away. No, well, it's a great tip. You know, um, sometimes, like you said, going through security, it's generally speaking, it's lighter there than if you're going through to get onto the trams. Um, even the ticket lines is much shorter than when you're in the general ticketing area. Um, that's not to say that you might not run into something that is a little delayed, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, it is, th- those are faster experiences. And then, like you said, it tops it off with a more scenic mm-hmm. route of, you know, seeing the park before you actually get there. So that's a great tip. Yeah. And whether it's faster than, you know, taking the tram in from the garages and, and going into the front gate versus walking there and going into the monorail, I don't know for sure, but it's just a different way. And uh, some, in some ways, uh, it's just an interesting, more, more fun interesting. way. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, I, I find it fun. I always like riding the monorail in. Uh, the monorail leaving there, you can also take the monorail back if you really want to and get dropped off in the same location. But I find the monorail trip in to be the much more interesting right, one. Right. Much more worth it doing it. So that's my tip this week. Again, Michelle's tip, always the best tip. My <laughs> tip, definitely a secondary <laughs> tip. But we hope that uh, we, you can have some use for them. So that's it for this week's show. Next week, it's been a while. We're getting back to our five favorite things series. And this one, we're not going to tell you about ahead of time. Oh, it's a honey, mystery. You can speculate what we're going to do. Let us know on social media what you think it is. Yeah, it'd be kind of interesting to hear what you think we might be doing as our five favorite things series for next week. But we're going to have a lot of fun. We always love doing our five favorite things. Listen, those are some of, at least from our downloads, those are some of your most favorite episodes as well. So we're excited to do that again. And uh, yeah, give us your speculation. We'd love to hear what you think we're going to do. Maybe it might actually change our minds. We might do something. That's a better idea. Let's do that. Uh, Find us on social media. It's on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And of course, you can always email us Hyperion Adventures Podcast at gmail.com. Right. And we love the interaction with everybody. Um, please keep it coming. And we love hearing from you. Some, you know, uh, if you have an idea, if you have a critique for us, please let us know. Please reach out to us um, because. We want this to be the best it can be. Absolutely. Definitely. We want this to be the best podcast we can possibly make it. I know today for me particularly wasn't the best podcast I've ever done, <laughs> but we try and do put out the best product we can week in and You're just week tongue-tied out. Yeah, today. it's one of those days for sure. Uh, we appreciate you joined us today. In the future, you can find us the best place our website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. Again, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. I think I screwed it up again. HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. <laughs> Boy, it's been one of those days today. Uh, Please go check out our website. We're doing a lot of things to spruce it up, and we hope you're enjoying that. But you can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Google and Google Podcasts. Boy, we're almost done. Thank goodness. Uh, And you also can find us Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and now, yes, on iHeartMedia Podcast. Check us out on any one of those places or anywhere you find podcasts. And if you have a chance, one, first, please tell a friend about us, but you have a little more time, give us a rating. And if you have even a little more time, a review would be really wonderful. It really helps others just like you 
find out about our show. Yes, and we definitely appreciate those of you who have so already much. done ratings and reviews in the past. Yes. Thank you. By the way, we had this thing that came to us this week that said we were ranked higher than we could have ever imagined on like kids and family on Apple Podcasts. It was like 733 out of, it it was just unbelievable. And uh, that's all credit to everybody who's listened to us and has reviewed us and rated us. Thank you all for that out there. We love you all. You are amazing. And this, you are part of the reason, well, one, we do do this because we just like to talk Disney. (laughs) We do this because when you encourage us so much and we really, really appreciate you out there doing that for us. So thank you. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us on the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We look forward to sharing some time with you again next week. But until that time, I'm Tom. I'm Michelle. And we hope that you have a magical week.